Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline. Welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. Today I meet with Linda, who has been back in Chicago for a few years now, but has moved all around the world this many times. And we'll be discussing moving after a very short period in one place, uh, also changing careers and repatriation, which is a big topic. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks. Nice to see you. Great to have you on the show. I'm excited to hear your, your story completely this time. Yes, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> okay, well, let's jump in and start with your first move. How did this all come up? Oh, it was in 2004. And, and as it goes, I was in my dream job and very happy with how my career was progressing. <laughs> and my husband and I had been married a few years and we talked about potentially moving overseas. But to be honest, I always thought it would be for my career. That's a, a story in and of itself in terms of the decision we made. But he came home one day and said, what do you think about moving to Tokyo? And I was so conflicted because, as I said, my career was really important to me and it was going well. But at the same time, I had wanted to be an expat since I was a kid. I used to read a lot and these books would take me to different times and places. And I had started traveling in, in high school. I did a summer program abroad and then I studied right. abroad in college. So, I mean, this has always been on my mind, but... uh yeah, so he came home, he asked, and after a lot of soul searching, I agreed to do it. I mean, Tokyo is not an easy move. What made you agree to it? What made you change your mind? You said you were you were conflicted. And also the fact that was it that it was Japan, was that something that pushed the balance one way or the other? It did actually. I had studied in Europe three times and I had only ever been to Asia on business trips and on, uh, I did a, a J term in grad school in mm -hmm. Asia. And so I was very intrigued by it because it was so different. And yeah. I think I looked at it as a bit of a challenge that way, you know, in that it's so different. Like I've already done these easy countries, so to speak. Now it's time to to really go for it and put myself in a place where I can't read the signs, I can't yeah. speak the language. But the other part of it was that I was fortunate in that I worked for a global company and I was able to work at the local subsidiary. So okay. I always say that it's been an evolution, but the reality is, is that it was a very slow evolution <laughs> in terms of me stepping off of my traditional career path. Okay, so you liked the challenge of it being Japan, plus in the end you did have an option to work there with your company then? I did. Okay, well tell us about this initial move, how you lived it, arriving and the whole change. Well, it was definitely a situation where I was extremely excited and extremely nervous. Um, my husband went off on his first business trip and I sat on the floor of our empty apartment because our shipment hadn't arrived yet. And I looked around at the bare white walls and I started crying. I just thought, what did I do? What did I do to my career? I don't know anyone here. I, you know, I, I went through that whole process of sort of regretting what I had done. But at the same time, 
I was fortunate in that at that time, there were a lot of resources in Tokyo for expats because it was still quite, there wasn't as much English in the shops and restaurants and that sort of thing. I mean, this is 2004, like even iPhones and, you know, all of the technology wasn't quite what it is today. So the Tokyo American Club had a, um, a welcome seminar for new arrivals, mostly female accompanying partners. Right. And I went to that. Thank goodness I I showed up for it because I think sometimes when you move, you can be nervous and upset and you don't want to put yourself Mm. out there. But I went to that and then I was matched with a group of women that were around the same age that didn't have children. And so I had at least a group of acquaintances to start to hang out with. Which is important. Definitely. Definitely. And what about the job side did this was this organized before you left or did it sort of come up as you as you started there no it was organized before i left because of course i had to go run around the company and talk to all of my mentors like what should i do and the best conversation i had was with one guy he was towards the end of his career he's an executive at this big company and he looked at me and he said linda get over yourself. This company has been here for a hundred years and it's going to be here when you get back. And that actually really shifted me because I thought, here's this person who is so successful and he's telling me just live your life and go and do it. And nobody had ever said that to me. It was always more like, you have to do this. You have to then do that. And, you know, career wise. So that was actually really a blessing. And then also, I was able to get a non-traditional leave of absence for the duration of the time that we were in Tokyo. So I knew that I'd have the opportunity to go back to the company and not lose any of my seniority and that sort okay. of thing. Um, but And then I was also able to line up an interview with the president of the subsidiary. And when I met him, he was so happy to have a Western resource that he didn't have to pay to relocate that he basically <laughs> said, come on, come on on board. <laughs> Nice. So yeah, everything did like, sort of fit in correctly to at least make it easier on the career side. And then, well, moving to Japan is always a, a struggle. I think there's no no easy way to move to Japan when you're a Westerner. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. But the funny thing is, is when I got to Japan and I met this group of people, the president of the subsidiary had wanted me to be a local hire. So he wanted me to sit in a cubicle in Japan and follow. Basically, I would have felt pressured to follow the Japanese oh. work style where the, you know you don't leave before your boss and this and that. Yeah. And again, I had some sort of a shift where I, sa- I said, I can't do this. I didn't move all the way to Japan to sit in a cubicle. So I convinced him to hire me as a consultant and have me work on a project basis so that I could still embrace everything that was coming my way through my expat right. experience. Oh, wow. So that's really good the way that you were able to make the job yours in the end, like right. make them adapt to your needs. <laughs> and I think it actually worked out for the best because I was able to sort of hop around the subsidiary doing different projects to figure out where I'd be a good fit and where I could add the most value versus if I would have taken a job with one specific division, right. it would have been a different, maybe it wouldn't have worked out. I, mm-hmm. I have no idea what would have happened. Okay. Interesting. Okay, let's move on a little bit then. Um, so you arrived in Japan, you made uh, you made your network, you started consulting. And in our chat, you mentioned at, at some point in your life with your husband, you started moving every 12 to 14 months. I want to touch a little bit on this side. What, what happened there? How did this work? 
Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, so we moved every time we repatriated, we thought it was going to be forever. And I don't, this is the longest repatriation we've had at four years. And we actually moved house within Chicago just before the pandemic. So oh, wow. I feel like I'm just getting settled. You know, we basically were following opportunities and, you know, career opportunities and adventure. So mm-hmm. we moved back from Japan the first time and my husband switched companies. So okay. 18 months later, we moved back to Japan and I gave birth to our daughter six months or six weeks later. So why back to Japan? Was he actively searching for an opportunity again in Japan or just... Um, he wasn't searching, but he had had an offer before we left Japan the first okay. time and he turned it down, but then they came back what about and it? yeah, so that's how it goes. But the problem is, is as he was negotiating, I was getting more and more pregnant. So I basically said, we have to make a decision because I'm going to have this baby in June okay. one way or another. Um, and so when we moved back to Japan, we were happily there for another three years, but then the company pulled us back. And, um, and then another opportunity came up about 14 months later. So that's when it wow. started to get really crazy because the two times we were in Japan, it was three, three and a half years. And so that okay. felt like, you ha- yeah, you right. have time to settle, to make the house yours, to build connections and actually enjoy, like have your habits. Right. So it was just the forever repatriations that were short, quote unquote, forever. Yeah. Um, but then when we moved to Abu Dhabi, we thought we were going to be there for five years and it lasted 14 months because about six months into it, my husband had another opportunity come up. And so it was like we were settling, but we were also planning for another move. It was just a very chaotic time. And then that next move was to London and we thought we were going to be there five to seven years. But after (laughs) two years, we decided to come back to the U.S. for a variety of reasons. And um, in a way, I'm glad we did because... Um, you know, so there were some personal reasons, you know, aging parents and that mm. sort of thing. Yeah, but also with Brexit, is often what brings you back at some points. It's true. And then that was also around the same time that things were happening with Brexit. And so I tell you, I have very few friends left in London. In the four mm-hmm. years we've been back, I think the majority of our wide network of people have moved on. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. Also, a lot of the French are starting to move back to France and leaving the UK because yeah, the, the perks aren't there anymore. So sad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so a move every 14 months is is pretty intense. And especially, as you say, it was, it was never planned. So you moved with in mind that you were going to stay three, four, maybe seven years each time. How do you mentally adjust to suddenly wait everything I've done is just gone after six months you know I think for me what ended up happening was because I studied abroad on a program three times when I was younger I sort of learned how to repatriate right how to go back and deal with reverse culture shock so I felt like I, as an adult, when we started living overseas, I was pretty good at the basics of repatriation. I expected the culture shock and that sort of thing. But when we started moving so quickly, I really went back to that first period when we lived in Japan. It was basically a crash course in personal development for me because I was so career focused in my younger years that I didn't really, I pushed all my own thoughts of other things aside, you know, other things that I could potentially be interested in doing and that sort of thing. 
And so I really took time to get to know myself. I worked with a life coach. I was having all these experiences. And um, I think that really set me up for learning to go in and prioritize what I needed to do. So I would get into the country. A good example is when we moved to London. At that point, I knew our track record was not very reliable. So (laughs) I always said to myself, I'm going to give myself a year to get settled. And then I'm going to pick up my coaching business, which I had gotten certified in coaching when we lived in Japan the second time because I wanted to add that to my consulting business. And I put it aside. I was just doing very few clients here and there when we were moving around so quickly because I couldn't focus on it. I was too busy setting up life. But um, that second time we moved to London, I said, okay, first year, settled, second year, coaching business. The beginning of the second year, there was just something in the back of my head that said, you are living in one of the greatest cities in the world. And yes, you're anxious to get your coaching business going again, but the reality is you have so many opportunities to go out and enjoy the city and have fun. Just focus on that, just Mm. in case. And then- Yeah, just focus on the present moment. (laughs) Yeah, and I tell you, I am so glad that I spent that year bonding with my friends, visiting the city, in London, taking yeah. trips with girlfriends, taking trips with my families. Like I have such fond memories of those two years. I didn't, I didn't want to leave, but at the same time, when we did leave, I felt satisfied. Yeah, you had done what you wanted to do. There was no, not as many regrets as if you had waited on this. Right, because I did have regrets in Abu Dhabi. Because, like okay. I said, we thought we were going to be there five years, and we got there, and we got the house because we thought we were going to have all these visitors, and we were furnishing it and this and that. And so I spent all that time furnishing and setting up and then we left. So I didn't get to do all the traveling and spend as much time with friends and that sort of thing. So I really learned a lesson from that. I feel like each move has added more and more to my mental tool set about how to live abroad. And I mean, it's an endless- When you arrive. Yeah. It's it's a tough call to make also given that you can't be sure exactly how long you're going to stay. And there always is a bit of this piece of, well, make your home your home as soon as possible instead of spending that time in between where sometimes you don't make your home completely saying, well, I'm going to leave in six months anyway. And you end up staying three years, but in the end you've never really built your, your really comfort home and never felt home. And then you come in saying, well, prioritize the network and don't necessarily focus on building the home because if you leave, it's a tough call to make. It is. And I'll tell you, I did create a home every time we moved because we've always worked under that premise of we're here for this amount of time. And if something changes, then we're going to factor it all in as we're making the decision. I mean, even the three times we repatriated to the US, we bought a house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I think it's a whole process. Yes. I mean- takes and, time, energy, and like mental investment. I mean. It's, it is. And I'll tell you, when we moved back to Chicago, or we moved to Chicago after we were in Tokyo the second time, we bought a house that we knew we could leave empty if okay. we needed to. And we wanted to do that because our daughter was three. She saw Chicago as home. Mm-hmm. And 
we wanted her to feel like she had a home base. And yeah. we were moving to the Middle East. So we thought if anything heads south and we have to leave suddenly, all of our precious belongings, our photo albums and everything is still in Chicago. Right. Now, we didn't end up selling that townhouse ever. But so for two things happened. One, we moved to London so quickly that we never had time to really think about it. Okay. But then when it was time to leave London, it was such a blessing to have that house to come back yeah. to because I knew people, we made the decision. We didn't have to worry about it. I knew people that were actually in situations where they were losing their jobs. So they had to leave London. They had kids going into high school and they didn't yeah. know where the parents were going to get jobs. So they didn't know where to go. And I just felt so lucky that we had kept that base for our family. Yeah. You right. have a home base somewhere in the world that you can exactly. go back to if something goes wrong. And it made repatriating easier because yeah. Our daughter was happy to come back here. She had gone to preschool here. And in the summers and at Christmas, when we would come back to Chicago and visit, we always re-upped with our friends. Like we would get yeah. together with people and hang out. So it was really a happy homecoming when we came back to Chicago. Nice. Yeah. Except, you know, when you come back on home leave, everyone treats you like a celebrity. They're like, oh, you're here. I'm going to drop everything to hang out with you. And then when I came back and I was actually living here, no one's there. Happy, but then it would be like, oh yes, let's get together again. I can see you in a month. I'm quite busy now. <laughs> you know? I know that's yeah. I think uh, like repatriation is tough for them because we all have in mind that oh, people are going to be so happy to see us and it's going to be a big celebration. And you come in, it's like oh hey, great to see you, and it's gone. Everything's everyone's living their life, and you're back home. Like, sort of alone in the end <laughs> now what do I do and it's funny too because it's like their lives have all gone on like yes. my core group of friends had kind of scattered around the city because they the kids weren't at the same school anymore a lot of my friends had full-time careers that they had been building over mm -hmm. that six or seven years that I was gone and they were further along and busier and and whatnot so our lives are very different and I still have that same core group of friends, but I've had to treat this like another assignment in that I had to sort of reevaluate my friendships, the types of people that were interested in the same things that yeah. I am and that sort of thing. Yeah. You, you do see a difference with the friends connections of, well, how people's paths have evolved and well, yeah, you reprioritize maybe different friends and different hobbies or tastes. Well, and I think it's mutual too, yeah, right? Like, no, both ways, of yeah. course. Ways. And, you know, I'm the friend that they call when they're moving or mm -hmm. if they're going on vacation to one of the countries I've lived in, you mm -hmm. know, so there's always a reason to reconnect, but that it's definitely, I think you, when you repatriate, you do soul searching. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but as I've moved around, my values have shifted and evolved. Mm -hmm. And so all of that comes into play. I think when you repatriate you or any move, even if you're moving to a new host country, you take it helps to take some time to step back and think about like, who am I now? Who have yeah. I become? And what do I want to do with that? Yeah, completely. You were saying a little bit earlier um, that you have, you now have the basics of repatriation. How do you define them? What are they? Well, it's a bit cliche to say that I treat it like another leg in the journey, but I truly do. I mean, I do the same. Like when I came back to Chicago, I did the same things I did when I moved to London. Mm. So I start networking, you know, who knows somebody that could help yeah. me. 
what do I have to offer? You know, I started a group in Chicago um, for expat women in Chicago. And it's kept me connected with an international community. And people are so happy. We've been able to start meeting in person outside. And these women are so happy to have other people with shared experiences to communicate with and people that kind of get the experience. So I've really just tried to create my own life and you know, to live the life I want on my own terms. I mean, I feel like after all this time, I have an international mindset. So mm. I'm an expat. Like I'm, I have an international spirit. It doesn't matter where I'm living. Like I'm not from Chicago. I'm from the East Coast. Culturally, Chicago is very different <laughs> than where I'm from. So luckily, the people understand me when I speak, but there's so many things that are different. So I right. feel like I'm on an international journey. I don't want to sound corny, but I do. I feel like I'm on an international journey and I'm internationally minded. And so that's how I choose to see my life. Yeah. Now, it's funny that you say I treat it like a, another assignment. And I think it's something people often don't realize when they repatriate for the first time. They don't realize that they should actually approach it like a new expatriation. They just feel, well, I'm coming home, so I know how to deal with it. But yeah, there is this whole thing where you have to build a new connections, a new network, and you often lack that international vibe. And so where do you go find that international vibe when when you were home the first time? You, you didn't know the international community there. Right. You need to connect with it at the times. Well, one group that I did meet, the first, when we moved here in 2012, I was connected because I started networking in advance, which is one tip that I always give people that are moving. And so I had this group of women that had all lived in Tokyo at different times, but I didn't know them there. They were all friends of friends. And I'm still to this day friends with that group. So we all lived in Tokyo in the early 2000s. And we get together and we go to different Japanese restaurants or to the Korean spa. Well, this was all pre-COVID, of course, but yeah. you know, it was always so fun to reconnect with them because we talked the same language about Tokyo. We'd all been mm. to the same restaurants and done the same things, just not together. Yeah. No, it's quite interesting to see that. Okay. And now that you're like completely settled in Chicago and repatriated, do you, do you still miss, do you still, do you miss that adventure side? Do you have this itch to move? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like with everything in my life, I feel like I can see both sides of it. You know, yeah. I have a queen, she's in middle school and she really wants to be in Chicago. We, right. one of the reasons we moved house in Chicago is we wanted to have a place that was more comfortable for entertaining and for having visitors and the thought was that we would stay here. So I think I've spent most of COVID really merging and purging all of my treasures, so to mm. speak, from all this time overseas. And that really was like a walk down memory lane and helped me really make sense of the journey. Like mm. the journey that's so different than what I envisioned for myself as a youth or in college or and even as I was setting out early in my career. And that's when I decided to relaunch my coaching business because I felt like I'm at a place myself where there's enough stability that I can use everything that I've learned and experienced to support other people and help them create a life that does flow through the ups and downs of the expat repat cycle mm. and create a life that works for them as they're going through that whole process. Yeah. 
but you know, things come up on occasion and we think about them. So <laughs> we'll see. We will see. <laughs> so re- repatriate, but not for too long. <laughs> right. I still consider myself an expat partner because, you know, I never know where, where we will end up. Um, the other thing with COVID is that I had so many people saying to me like, oh, you must really miss travel. And there is a part of me that has missed it. But mm. to be perfectly honest, I've spent my whole life traveling, traveling and chasing. I mean, my family that I was born into moved four times before I was 10 for my father's oh. job. And then, you know, I've already talked about the rest of my story. I went away to college and I never went home and I've just been moving, moving, moving. And so in a way, a silver lining of the lockdown for me was that I wasn't tempted. I, it was it forced me off my normal run, run, run and made yeah. me really look inside at myself and do all the projects that I never did because there was always something more fun to go do. Um, so it's there's been some silver linings there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I've seen the same where I was previously in a job where I was traveling constantly. I was on the plane twice a month traveling across Europe for work. And then on the weekends, I was constantly abroad living in Dublin. Ryanair is there. I mean, there's the cheapest flights ever to go wherever. So it's constantly there. And then one year lockdown and you finally end up catching up on the sleep. And Mm -hmm. I recapped all the trips and I realized, how did I physically do that? I just need this break of not getting on the plane, actually taking the time, thinking about things and exactly like you're saying, working on projects that you never had time to start because you're busy discovering something else, which was great, but it's nice to have that balance. And I think I'll be definitely traveling a bit differently in the future. I agree. I feel like I'm living my whole life with more intention because I feel like I was doing all these, making all these moves and living with all this chaos. In a way, I was searching for something. Mm. I think over the last few years, I've realized that I didn't need to search for something. I needed to actually peel away all of the layers of the conditioning I had as a child about what my career should be like and the societal pressure of, you know, whatever that pressure is, whatever pressure you put on yourself, and then constantly chasing like the moves. It was always so chaotic. And I feel like now I've peeled all of that away and I'm back to who I'm really meant to be. And in a way, it's almost as if I'm now living the life that I probably should have been living a long time ago. Like I loved my corporate career, but I don't know if it's really, if I would have been honest with myself, if it was really what I was meant to do with my life. Yeah. So I'm probably happier and more settled now than I've been in, in quite a while. But, you know, dust off the passport because I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> ready to take a plane. <laughs> ready like to said, pack that box also. <laughs> but like you said, I'll do it differently. I feel like I'll yeah. do it with more intention. Okay. Not so do you, do th- the intention is what you do differently. Is there anything else that you do approach differently? Uh, I definitely have always been guilty of wanting to be at all the hot spots. Like, oh, in Chicago, there's so many amazing restaurants and all the concerts come through here. And anytime mm-hmm. something would come across my plate, I'd say, oh, I've got to do that. I've got to do that. So I was, even though I wasn't an expat, I was still kind of on that manic, yeah. like all this external feedback. So I feel like now it's much more internal, like much more get rid of things, have less stuff in my house, in my life, 
focus on my family, focus on my friends, the experiences, and also focusing on just quieting down and just really appreciating what I have. Yeah, not running after every every event and that FOMO fear of missing out on it, anything right. that's coming up. Yeah, I have that. <laughs> I'm there. I'd be living in four different places at the same time if I could. Like, I want to be here and here and here at the same time. I have to choose. I can't choose. <laughs> no, I hear you. And I think having a, a child has actually shifted that for me yeah. because as much as I do think about myself and what I want. I think I also know what's right for her and what she's craving. And I think for at least now, you know, for the next couple of years, at least, it'd be nice for her to have that stability. Okay, nice. Okay, so tips for repatriation, take it as an assignment, build your network and think about yourself. Definitely. Definitely. I think the, and the first two I talked about quite a bit, but I think the third one, you know, self-care is so important and it's Mm. how you want to define it. I think a lot of the expat partners end up putting everyone before them because the kids need help getting settled. The husband's busy in his career. Somebody has to sort of hold down the fort. So we forget about ourselves, but I think, you know, there's so many things that are important to do, um, you know, physically, you know, get your move. I'm not going to say exercise because you have to do what works for you, but move, eat well, and think about, you know, what are the things that you're tolerating in your life? Like if you suffer from back aches, then go get yourself a massage. It doesn't have to be a fancy thing, you know, or if you're feeling lonely, like put yourself out there, make time to go get together with friends. It's really, however you, you're the only person that can define what self-care is going to work for you. Yeah. Um, you know, and then of course, for me, I'm constantly reevaluating my values and figuring out like, how do I want to spend my time instead of just falling into whatever's easy and what's close by. So I think that's another important thing to do when you repatriate. Cause every time you repatriate, it's a chance to basically reinvent Re- yourself. Yeah. You start from scratch so you can be whoever you want, but you have to choose who you want to be. Right. It's always a tough introspection time also. <laughs> sure, yourself. Sure. Okay, nice. Very interesting. Um, let's move on to life in Chicago and the recommendations then. Sure. Uh, th- well, like I said earlier, there are so many amazing restaurants in Chicago, so I could talk about that for a whole half hour. But my most favorite new restaurant is Nobu. Okay. And partly because we waited for it to open for a very long time and it (laughs) finally opened right before the pandemic. But it takes me back because Nobu in Tokyo was always our go-to place with friends. We've celebrated so many birthdays and leaving parties and and the food, the menu, the Nobu classic menu doesn't change. So we actually went there last weekend with some friends from Tokyo who were visiting us. um, And we ordered all of our greatest hits. It was a bit (laughs) indulgent. So- so Nobu in the West Loop in Tokyo or uh, in Chicago. In Chicago, so Japanese restaurants. Yes. What type of Japanese, like sushi or ramen or? Well, it's actually like Peruvian. Oh. Peruvian California fusion, but okay. they have there's they're known for their black cod, which miso black cod is so good, and they do rock shrimp tempura, which is amazing, and salmon skin hand rolls and. 
if anyone's interested, I'll, I'll, I'll email you my greatest hits list and tell you what to order. <laughs> okay. And I'll link to restaurants in the comments. Great. Okay. Favorite bar or cafe? My favorite cafe is a place called Florial, and I just happen to live around the corner from it, which is a bit dangerous, but it has a very homemade vibe. Like the coffee's excellent and the croissants are out of this world. Well, I don't know. If you ever come to Chicago, I'll take you and you can tell me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's difficult to beat a French croissant. <laughs> it's a very, uh, it, it's a special place. Okay, nice. And last is your carte blanche. So any spot that you cherish. This is an, an easy one for me because there's okay. a place called Alfred Caldwell Lillypool. And it's basically a hil- hidden garden in Lincoln Park. I mean, I lived in Chicago for, I think, five years on and off before I ever even found it. But it's um, basically a, a garden that it's sort of like Frank Lloyd Wright meets Monet's Water Lily Pond. <laughs> And it reminds me, you know, I I mentioned with the restaurant, like I'm kind of appreciating things at this point in my life that take me back. And it really reminds me of the forest that surrounds Meiji Shrine in Tokyo, because it's just a complete urban oasis. Like you're in the middle of the city, but you feel like you're out in the country. Mm. So I really like that. And the best part about this um, Caldwell Lily Pool is that it's part of the park district. So it's free. So it's nice that people can just go and enjoy it and not have it be a, you know, a, just a tourist attraction. Yeah. It's always nice to have that little sort of meditation or garden space. And indeed in Tokyo, you have that where you suddenly have a park in the middle of this skyscrapers and it's completely silent and quiet in that place, which is pretty amazing how they, I don't know how they're able to make that bubble in the middle of the city. Well, and it's true of this place too. When you walk through there, you will see people sketching, mm-hmm. reading, and really using it like as public space should be used. You know, it yeah. makes me feel like I'm I'm at home when I see that. Sounds like a very sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. And last but not least, what is your expat song? So I'm picking Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. You know, it was released around the same time that I moved to Tokyo and the lines live your life with arms wide open. Today is where your book begins really speaks to me because I feel like we talked about earlier. Every time you move, it's a chance to reinvent yourself. It's a chance to reassess your life, uh, redefine purpose for yourself. And I think that song in a lighthearted way really speaks to that. Yeah. Like many people have said it throughout the podcast and every time I do, I do feel it's true. It completely resonates this piece around reinventing and becoming the best, a better version of you at each move that you've really grown for each move and each time you make it easier, better, and you're a better, better self. I really like that idea. Sounds so nice. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you a lot for joining and sharing all these tips on quick moves and repatriation. (laughs) Definitely insightful and I can completely relate to a lot of it. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. As usual, all the um, recommendations will be linked in the comments and so will the song. Feel free to add a rating on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed it and stay tuned for the next one. 